Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. And we're back. Welcome to another episode of The Flow Line. Matt, how are you doing? We're, in, we're doing it, not live, but in person today. How's it feel? It's good to be in person. It is. I like. I actually flew back from Denver last night, and it feels good to be back in Houston, where it's a thousand percent humidity and pretty muggy and warm. It was really nice in Denver. Actually, I was quite surprised. Well, was, I, I thought out, it was gonna be colder. Really? Yeah. I was yeah. out last week when the weather was like perfect, and oh yeah, got home Saturday to mow the lawn. It was, <laughs> but I I did get to enjoy the fine side of Ohio. Got to visit some Marietta College students. So hey. shout out to any of those folks who. Okay. Might be listening, but yeah, what were you doing up there? So they have an oil and gas conference, and one of our employees up there, Justin Parsons, is yep. an alum, and we've attended for years, and just want to support the students and educate them on oil and gas. Very cool. And so you know, it was really neat. But all that being said, the weather was very nice there. I think it spent too much time outside. Okay. But it was also like, wait, this is one of those you know five weeks a year in Houston where we get like absolutely gorgeous weather. Yeah. And I'm gone for it. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, hopefully we get some coming up here. It's supposed to rain, but hopefully nothing too drastic. And I wanted to touch on another topic. And again, another great question from a listener. And this one's to do with cementing. And we've talked a little bit about cementing and some planning, you know, and, and things around it. But the question was more specific to how do we precondition mud before cementing? And so I think it was a you know, great question that we'd like to address and, and hopefully answer the question. Matt, what do you think? Absolutely. It's, it's an interesting question just because there's a lot of different ways to answer this depending on the level of risk, but they're all, I feel like I've experienced a lot of them. So it sort of brings back some memories of, Perfect. okay, let's make sure we get good cement down there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, so I guess the first question is, why is that important? You know, why can't you just, you know, and again, you can, but in some cases you don't just want to get to TD, pull out of the hole, run pipe and cement without doing anything. Why is it a possible concern and why does it matter? I mean, anywhere you leave mud, you risk not getting good cement placement and contact, right? The goal is that all the mud is gone and the thing between the casing and the hole is cement, right? So, you know, a poor bond, the cost of remediation, right? Let's say we don't get a good cement job and we actually have to perforate, squeeze some cement, test it again. This is expensive and sometimes it can undermine a lot of, you know, other other things, you know, and depending on the criticality of the the interval, this is how you can end up with a flow up the backside, right? You get a bad cement job and this is where you have, you know, interactions between zones that were supposed to be isolated, you know, and in the unconventional world, particularly where there's a lot of eyes on what we do. I mean, our biggest argument for the safety of things is, look, we protected the water table with an interval of casing and, you know, the reservoir, every, everything has integrity, right? And so besides just the, the safety and well security aspect, we don't ever want to have to go tell somebody, you know, tell the public, look, we did a bad job and didn't do what we said we do. And then, you know, in, in the production interval, focusing on, well, it's, it's really any, any form of completion where you cement the casing, but Think about fracking, right? The goal is we, we, we perforate, we squeeze all this 
frac sand in there. Then we isolate again and we squeeze all this frac sand. And the whole idea is that the cement, you know, a hundred feet up separates it. So those fractures propagate outwards and not up the backside of the casing. Hmm. So if I don't get a good cement job there, I can basically have these communication where I'm not actually propagating outwards. I'm just propagating from one open zone to another. Right. And that sort of, I mean, the goal is to produce oil and gas out of these wells, right? So if I'm not doing that, I'm not making money. Why'd I drill the well? Yeah, no, that's a great way to put it. So while we're drilling, right, you know, before we get to TD or, or, you know, the casing point, what are some things we can do before we actually get to that interval, the TD of that interval? I mean, I think one of the things is keeping mud properties in spec while drilling. And and so think of a few different mechanisms where maybe we have some, you know, wellborn stability or washout, something that just makes the displacement more difficult. So we have an opportunity to try and keep a, you know, a near gauge hole. And that way it's, you know, there's not all these random annuli for, for things to basically sit in where cement might not be able to push it out of the way. Mm-hmm. And I mean, if you talk to folks about what does a well bore actually look like, right? And let's say we're drilling with a mud motor. A lot of folks say, well, yeah, you imagine this straight line, but really it's kind of this undulating path, right? Where you kind of steer upwards and correct and yeah. and then you're rotating too, right? So it might look more like a gun barrel where you don't have this perfect cylinder that you're looking at anymore. You have all these grooves where you could have fluid sit. And so like we're already up against that, right? It's yeah. it's not a, this ideal scenario. But then, you know, kind of anticipating as we get close to TD, you know, make sure the mud's in good shape then too. And and this can be a bit of a challenge because when we get near TD, a lot of folks are like, let's stop spending money on mud, right? We made it. Right. Right. Yeah. And so a lot of times the properties might go wild in those last 500 feet because it's like, no, no, sh- you know, shut off the dilution. We're just going to let it ride. This is the last well on the pad. Right. You know, and, and so that mindset can actually create some issues. And so one is before you get to TD, you want to start conditioning your mud. And so you want low and and non-progressive gels. And think about it. We talk about gel pressure, gel strengths, because I kick on my pumps and I can surge the well, right? Yeah. And it affects flow rate. But think about a puddle of mud as you're circulating that's sitting in one of those low spots. We have to break those gels to push it out of the way. Mm -hmm. So if it's been sitting static for a while and that cement comes by, what do you? it needs to be basically... Have, have weak enough gels that you can actually move it. Right. And so that's one thing. And, you know, it's not uncommon. We did this a lot offshore when, when we were kind of, you know, a thousand feet away from TD, we might start adding a thinner or, or, you know, but with oil, don't just add a thinner yeah. to address some of, you know, dirty mud, but keep in mind that there's a risk there that, None of us as, as mud people can guarantee whether you're going to have sag issues. Because the next thing you're going to do after you circulate and condition before you come out of the hole is you're going to run casing. And when we talk about sag, as we have in, in other episodes, breaking the gel strengths, moving at very slow speeds, that's how you induce dynamic sag. Mm. So you're about to enter into a higher risk sag environment, which means... If you're too aggressive, you thin out the mud too much, you could find yourself in a world of hurt. Yeah. So 
there's a balance there. And it may be you set some target properties you want to achieve. I would start while I'm drilling. So if I'm adding products, I'm, you know, I'm getting some shear and that sort of thing. But you are going to keep circulating when you do your cleanup cycles and that sort of thing. So you have a little bit, a little bit more time. Right. But I recommend that. And, and if it's really dirty, it may even involve, you know, get a cleaner fluid in there, you know, do an aggressive dilution as you go or yep. that sort of thing. So, you know, and I would say I've even gone as far as spotting cleaning condition mud before we come out of the hole in, in an extreme case. Yeah. And they were worried about sticking casing. They were worrying about, about a bunch of other things, but it was clean condition mud. And then the other thing that I've experienced in a really critical cement job was we actually displaced to a fluid that was easier to displace. Mm. So we actually had a cementing fluid. What we did is we had fine grind bayrite in a drilling fluid, but it was, it was really thin, right? The fine grind bayrite wasn't going to settle out. So we keep our rheology really low, keep our gels really low. Yeah. So we used the mud that we needed for drilling properties. And then what we did is we actually displaced out to this special fluid, came out of the hole, ran casing, and then cemented with that. So because we knew it would be easier to displace, we could keep our pump rates. Yeah. No, that's, I mean, those are great sort of thoughts that I don't think a lot of people really consider, but again, it's extremely important and it could, you know, it it could make for a decent cement job to a great cement job. And, you know, we have a lot to do with that. So with regards to the casing run, are there things we can do like either during or once we've got casing in the hole? Yeah. I mean, I think the first thing is, is keep an eye on the mud. The well is going to be sitting static for a while, right? Yeah. In a really hot well, that means you could have some pretty nasty stuff coming around down at the bottom of the hole. Water-based mud, think about dehydration, think about some of these other things. And so sometimes it's just keep a sample and, and keep an eye on what what the properties are kind of, you know, devolving into, for lack of a better description. Mm-hmm. Because you, you will have some gelation, you will have some of these other things when, when you go to run casing. And so warming the mud up by circulating. So break those gels. Don't let, you know, don't let the well sit 16 hours static. Yeah. So break circulation at regular intervals a lot. You know, those are basic drilling practices, you know, staging your way in. But, you know, and, and once you get the casing to bottom, establish a circulating rate, right? I mean, usually in the cementing program, this is stated, but the really tricky thing is it's mud in the hole. So the cementers are more talking about how to push it out and at the same time, we need to be focused on, okay, we're about to hand over. I'm worried about my pit management program and all this other stuff, you know. But that being said, you know, making sure that we're circulating at a good rate to get that fluid warmed up, that we circulate for long enough. It's not non-productive time to get your fluid in shape to displace it. Right. And so I think that sort of setting that equilibrium once you've got casing on bottom is, you know, a, a pretty important aspect of getting a good cement job because once that mud's warmed up it's going to move out of the way much more readily right no that's perfect are there other things that that we really haven't talked about or just sort of different topics or you know around this topic that we need to consider or just something that again that you've experienced that maybe not many have yeah i mean so i think there's just think about all of the other parts of the machine that go into a cement job i mean we've probably covered this in the past but you know especially with oil-based mud, there's going to be a spacer compatibility test that's performed, right? And so, you know, the cementer is going to do that and they're going to qualify it as, you know, as they see fit. But let's make sure those kinds of things are taken care of and and good. 
And then the hydraulics, this goes back again to like the handover thing, you know, simulate not only drilling, but simulate running the casing and circulating at the rate that's recommended. So we had a situation where the cementers always recommended circulating at 10 barrels a minute, no matter what, no matter how small the hole, no matter what. And we had a lot of issues with cement jobs because we would go on losses. Well, it was because their ECDs were so high that they were recommending, you know, for 17 and a half inch hole, it was fine. It was a good idea. But as we got to smaller hole sizes, it was getting to be a worse and worse idea. Mm -hmm. And they weren't putting those, making those connections. And so simulating for the customer, circulating with casing on bottom and saying, look, this was our drilling ECD. This is what you're doing with casing. And now you've blown out the bottom of the formation and we're going to lose all this cement. Yeah, that can be, you know, pretty important. And talking through the whole job with the cementer, if you've got a critical, you know, critical application circulating it at TD after you've got the casing down, you know, the displacement itself, sometimes depending on what our limits are, we might pump a cushion of base oil to lower the overall ECD. Sometimes you can do that because you know what your pore pressure is and you can stay above that required mud weight. Other times it could be a huge risk because if you drop below pore pressure, you could take a kick. So you've got to understand where you sit with well control. The other thing is, you know, controlled and staged circulating rates. Can we do a step-up test and figure out, okay, we know we go on losses at 10 barrels a minute. Is seven enough? Let's do five and see where we stand. Right. And so, you know, those kinds of things in the big picture, understanding, you can even do this in a conventional hydraulics simulation. What about spotting, you know, the lead and tail slurries? Are they, you know, are they using lightweight cement? Are they using any special products? Understand how all of that balances out as the mud is leaving and the cement is coming in the hole. Right. And so the cementers have their models and and that sort of thing. And so you can ask them, you know, you want to look smart, ask, you know, what's your centralization program? What are you expecting on standoff? What is your displacement efficiency? You know, a lot of them will say they have a model and they say, look, you know, anything below 80%, we consider a failure and we're not going to do. And so asking them about that, even asking them the spots that aren't going to displace well, according to the model, can be kind of interesting to learn. And, oh, well, what if we increase the flow rate by our drilling ECD? I can tell you that we could go higher on the cement job. What if we could increase our flow rate and improve your displacement efficiency? Right. So there's plenty of opportunities if you communicate. I love the story of like, oh, you know, this is why you need to have a big company that does all these services. And I found when I was with one of those, you talk to each other the least. Yeah. But when neither one of you had a horse in the race and you sat down and said, all right, let's figure this out. Yeah. Like, I'm trying to make you look good. You're trying to make me look good. Let's high five each other and get in front of the customer. Yeah. That's usually when it went really, really well. Yeah. So I think those are things on the cement job itself. And then pit management. I mean, yeah, it's always a big thing, right? Like where do returns go? How are we going to manage them? And keep in mind, you know, when we estimate washout, let's say you drill a longer well than usual, and they always do the like 10% washout or whatever, you can end up with a lot more cement than you thought. So if you're doing something a little different and using the same amount of excess, know what you're going to do with this. My favorite top of cement listed in a mud report was six feet above active one. (laughs) Um, That's never good. So, you know, who's got the sugar? How are we going to handle this when it comes back? And as a mud guy, I don't want to be dealing with sacks of sugar. I just want to make sure somebody else is. No kidding. I mean, those are all other things I think you you can keep in mind 
that is kind of the mud side. And just if you try and think about it, that the mud is leaving as the cement is going in. Mm -hmm. So as much as you say, oh, my job here is done because they're pumping from the cement unit. It's never done. Right. right? Yeah. As long as there's mud on location, you need to be paying attention. And and those are all really good you know, thoughts. And some of it may apply more to, you know, office folks, but I think it's important for even as a mud engineer out in the field to be aware of this. And, and like you said, communicating with the cement people and just trying to learn more and, and really understand what's going on down hole, how our mud is affecting the overall operation, I think is extremely important because you may ask a, what you think is a dumb question, but may sort of give someone a different perspective and say, actually, you know what, we never thought of that. And next thing you know, there's questions being answered and, and you may help optimize the operations. So those are all really good points, Matt. What about when the job's done? You know, let's say you get a good cement job and you're ready to, you know, move on to the next well. You know, there's still a few things that we need to kind of be aware of and at least be mindful of before that happens. Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing is if you've done some simulations, compare them to what you actually got. It's a great time to calibrate and kind of scratch your head and say, okay, well, maybe maybe I overestimated or underestimated something. And if you can catch kind of a sense of what that is, especially in unconventionals where we do a lot of the same things over and over, mm-hmm. you might say, all right, well, typically I'm going to see an ECD about a pound and a half over my mud weight. You know, I can basically design around that right. versus asking every time. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, still ask the customer, but say, look, I've, I've kind of got a sense we're going to be okay here based upon what I've seen, is that good with you? I think it's real important, tracking losses, trying to identify where the losses were. I mean, if yeah. if you have some idea from the amount of pressure, so, you know, calculating cement height, we say, okay, well, we lost in the Brushy Canyon or whatever. It may be that we say, okay, well, our ECD would have been this. Maybe we need to consider wellbore strengthening for that zone. Maybe we need to do something a little different. So understanding that, you know, marking... Did we have cement returns to surface? Just things where it says, okay, this one went well, or no, we had a lot of washout, we had to remediate. Mm -hmm. Because it's not just this well, I think it's when you're able to build enough data together to tell a story that you can actually say, wow, okay, well, statistically, I would say that we can get away with this. Or, you know, and I mean, get away with is, is a loose term, but Let's say you've been pumping two-stage cement jobs, but you've made some changes yeah. and you've you've seldom needed that equipment. Yep. Maybe that maybe there is a justifiable reason to avoid that expense altogether. Yeah. But you don't know until you have you know enough evidence yep. and put it all together. So those are all those are all some helpful metrics. I guess one one other thing that I just thought of on the displacement side, you know, if you are trying to track strokes and and that kind of thing. Sometimes, and, and normally I do this with mud to brine displacements, you know, if, if you throw a little dye in there or if yeah. you, you know, even sometimes some mica or, so, you know, something that offshore would use, gl- you know, you could use like mica because it would, it would glimmer yeah. the ROV. But just something that sort of tells you, okay, this is where we landed can be insightful. Yep. Usually when you get good at it, you don't need those things anymore. You can kind of sense what's there and what's not. But just another thing on the on the displacement part. Yeah, no, it's yeah. always good to have you know your strokes or how much volume you, you know you're getting, kind of getting an idea of when you're supposed to get returns back, and then you can somewhat correlate that to whether it's washout or losses, and you know, and then everyone has their you know data that, or information that they've gathered. Then you can come up with you know, okay, here's what happened during the cement job. Yeah, and if you see a lot of interface, so if that's really strung out, you probably you know it mixed down hole, right? So it means you probably had didn't have as good of a displacement. Right. You know, so 
when we did, you know, mud to brine displacements, that was one, everything, all the solvents for the spacer contained D-limonene. And so you could normally smell that kind of orange mm. scent as it was on its way. And so you knew that spacer was coming. Yeah. But like with a dye or that kind of thing, you'd say, okay, this is when I first saw a sign of it. And this is when I saw the last part. And shoot, that's only 10% interface. This was a good displacement. Yeah. Versus with a cement job, you know, it's it's a one-shot. I mean, both are a one-shot deal, but you don't just keep circulating until things get better. You you just keep going. And so that feedback even of, okay, we got the spacer back and, you know, it was pretty discreet is a good sign that you had a good displacement downhole. Yeah. No, that, that's a really good point, Matt. And, and something else, again, that came to mind is with regards to cement jobs, and you mentioned, you know, one stage and two stage cement jobs, oftentimes what you can do with the drilling fluid is actually before you come out to run casing is actually spot something, say an LCM pill. And this is something that I had experience with, again, you know, out in West Texas. And, you know, we traditionally do two stage cement jobs on in the intermediate sections. And, you know, through various iterations of different pills and LCM treatments. Well, anyway, we came up with one that worked. And, you know, as a drilling fluid company, we were able to deploy some of our, you know, good product and, and certain technologies that we had to help the customer ultimately not have to do a two-stage cement job and only do one-stage cement job. So those are some things to think about. You know, there's things that we can do to not only have a good displacement, but to help us save a lot of money if, if they're having to do different you know, kind of different style of, of cement jobs. So just something else to consider. No, it's a, it's a great example. I mean, I, and I've certainly done it where we pump LCM ahead and you basically realize you're doing wellbore strengthening on, you know, accidentally on purpose, <laughs> right. but that ECD may be the highest you ever see. And so you induce fracture, squeeze some material in there, and then you bring all the heavy stuff up behind it and it can tolerate a higher ECD. So you're, yeah. it's like you're doing it on the fly, but yeah, it can get you a little more room. And mm. to your point, save quite a bit of money yeah. for the customer. Perfect. No, that's exactly right. Well, again, that was a great question, Matt, and I'm glad it was brought up. And if, again, anyone else has any questions or story to add to what we talked about today, I encourage you to reach out to us on LinkedIn, or you can hit us up at the Flowline Podcast at aesfluids.com. Matt, any closing last words before we let everyone go? No, nothing off the top of my head. Everybody take care. Awesome. Thanks again, everyone. Take care. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flow Line. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.